we're back. Right. Okay. Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, everyone. So here's the deal. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists. Mm -hmm. And apparently that's a predicate for a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) It is for us. It is for us. This podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We are so thrilled that you're spending a little bit of your time with us. Hi. And hi, sweetheart. Hi. We're back after like, did we have like three weeks off? Uh Uh-huh. It's three weeks between now and the last podcast. We have two weeks off. Oh, okay. Right. Right. So yeah, we're back and we'll talk about why we were gone uh, and all that that went on down in California for that uh, later in the podcast. Shall we start with some announcements, announcements, announcements? That was very tuneful. Thank you. I have one announcement. Mm-hmm. Uh, we rolled out some new merch at our show, our theater debut. No big deal. In Sacramento, California a couple weeks ago. Very big deal. And uh, we don't want to leave y'all out from the new merch cuteness. Mm-mm. So you can now go get some for yourself. There are a couple new t-shirt designs that have not been available widely to the public before. Because they're brand new. They're brand new. Uh, so if you go to shannoncurtis.net slash store, mm-hmm. That's the easiest way to remember. I want to draw everyone's attention to the new uh, scoop neck. Oh my gosh. Flowy scoop neck tee. It's so good. Man, That this is coming out at the beginning of May. It's going to be the hot summer shirt. It's, it's going to be the such hot. a good garment. It is. You got to go get it right now. Uh, so yeah, shannoncurtis.net slash store. Uh, go check out the new cute merch and mm-hmm. get yourself one. I love packaging up merch for people. Yeah. I've been doing it the last few days because we just put this up a couple days ago and we've been talking about it on socials and on my love letter list and things like that. And it's just so fun. I like I love making little packages for people and stick it in the mail. Lots. And sending it with the post person and be like, oh, this is gonna go, go it's gonna go live with somebody else now. And they're gonna wear it. It's gonna be so great. Yeah. Lots of little pink packages leaving our house lately. I love it. Uh, So that's it. Jamie, Yes. how are you feeling? Oh, thanks for asking. You know, today and last couple of days, I'm just feeling calm and relaxed. So good. Yeah, really. Uh, You know, we did such a big push in the run-up to our uh, theater debut. (laughs) (laughs) In the run-up to our show down in California. And uh, it was a lot of work, and it's hard to get fully relaxed in the middle of a process like that. It's not really appropriate. You want to keep your energy up and really stay focused. And, you know, after something like that, my experience is there's always a bit of a come-down period, Mm -hmm. you know, where your energy has to transition back down. Yeah. (laughs) You know? it's not like an immediate thing like, ah, it's done and now I'm totally relaxed. There's there's, a, there's an interval. Yeah. But my interval's done. Oh, that's good. And uh, I'm just feeling good. I had a really nice relaxing weekend with you. It was really mm-hmm. fun. Uh, we just mostly watched, you know, TV and movies. It was great. Uh, and I have just felt focused, happy to be back, uh, you know, happy to have that in our rear view. Uh, looking forward to the next iterations of it. Um, everything just seems pretty good. Cool. How are you doing? How are you feeling? Oh, you know, today I'm feeling a little meh. Uh-huh. Do you want to say I'm more? No, I don't really have much more to say about it. I'm generally feeling okay. Okay. So, yeah, it's just one of those days. All right. I'm fine. Hmm. Everything's fine. I'm fine. <laughs> you guys, she's fine. No, really, it's fine. I'm fine. Just, you know, I mean, everybody has ups and downs. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, I feel like, you know, Intellectually, everything's fine. 
But this is the feeling section. It's not the intellection. It's not the what are you thinking section. It's the how are you feeling section. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just like whatever. It, but I'm also fine. Yeah. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Not to be like really like uh, like non-descriptive about it, but that's kind of how I feel. Kind of nondescript. That, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, got it. So why don't we fire up the good news machine? Sounds great. What do you got? Okay, great news mm-hmm. from our state, our home state of Washington. Yeah. Uh, Been doing good stuff here in Washington lately. Yeah, the legislative session kicked butt this year. And in particular, I want a couple I wanted, of exceptions. But oh, keep going. Sure, yes, but, there's, but there were lots of great things. Yes. Um, one of the things, the thing that I wanted to talk about today in the Good News Machine segment is that our governor yesterday signed into law, uh, we became the 10th state to prohibit. AR-15s and dozens of other semi-automatic rifles. Um, so, like, it's an assault weapons ban in the state yeah. of Washington, which sales ban, right? Like, you can still own them, but you can't buy them. Here. Yeah, you can't. It, it specifically says it, it it bans the sale, transfer, distribution, manufacture, and importation of sixty-two gun models yeah. that the law defines as assault weapons. Importation, also, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, yes, you can't go to Idaho and buy one and bring it back home. Right. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. Now, does it define importation on a per Personal level, like the situation I just described, or is that more you know, of a technical thing where a business you know, brings it in? I don't know. I don't know. The Interesting. That, it must be personal because if it were a business bringing it in, they would still have to sell it, and that would be covered under sale. Right. This is great. It's good. It's good. And it's crazy that we're the only the tenth state to have done this. Back in the nineties, remember there was an assault a, a federal assault weapons ban. Yeah. And like when we were kids, like they just banned them, like you couldn't do it. Yeah. Exactly. For like a decade, For and then a, it expired, and Republicans didn't let it get renewed, and that was that. And if you follow, if you track the timing of that with like the uh, number of gun deaths in the United States, like right after the assault weapons, the federal assault weapons ban ended when Republicans didn't renew it. Yeah. That's when the line starts shooting upward <laughs> and has been going up ever since. With, the freedom like, line. The gun death the line. The line that measures freedom. Oh my God. <sighs> so yeah, but it's great news like uh, that our state has been, there's, there's, there's a lot of momentum, I think, with that around the country and the states <laughs> well, that have- Well, let's be clear, in blue states. Well, yeah, the states that have legislatures that will that will act on this kind of thing. Like it's just, it's good. The, this is not the only gun measure that Washington State passed this see, this session also. Mm-hmm. Um there was another one. Uh, there were two other laws uh, aimed at guns, including a 10-day waiting period for firearm purchases, mm-hmm. uh, which, I just side note, is such a great idea. Oh, yeah. like you, you hear so many of these the stories of like the latest mass shooter, you know, got all pissed off about something, got an idea in their head that they were going to go shoot something, some, some, you know, people up. And they go and buy a gun like on impulse, and you know, two days later they're carrying out their like yeah. their rampage, and like, so yeah, just uh, just a waiting period, like that will do so much good. It'll do. No so much one needs good. a gun urgently, people. No, no, and like in terms of like personal like safety of of the person purchasing the gun too. Like a lot of times, you know, if people are are you know um, dealing with like suicidal thoughts and things like that that could be like an impulse decision you know yeah. but wait 10 days and like so much can happen in 10 days that might change that person's mind or maybe their medication kicks in or they are able to get help or you know what I mean like yeah. there's no reason not to wait so the 10 day waiting period I think is great um, and then the other the other bill that he uh, that passed this session that he signed was a bill that will hold gun makers liable for negligent sales so yeah. Um, that's it, it allows this, the state attorney general 
or private citizens to sue gun manufacturers and dealers under public nuisance laws if they negligently allow their guns to be sold to minors Mm -hmm. or in the case of straw purchases, meaning like those who buy a gun for someone else who might not be allowed to buy a gun, you know? Um, So in those cases, if, 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 if somebody sells under those cases, the seller and or the gun manufacturer themselves can be sued and held responsible for any... Uh, harm that comes to somebody because of that. Hell yes. Yeah. So good stuff. I, th- I mean, good job, there's Washington. So much more to be done on the gun front, um, but that was good news and I wanted to celebrate it today. It's wonderful. Yeah. And you know, it's important to note, I think, in context of this conversation, that these types of laws are overwhelmingly popular with average people, like including in- gun owners, including red states and including gun owners, yes. like across the board, broadly overwhelming majorities of people, even in dark red states, want there to be common sense gun laws like the ones you just described. So it's only the legislatures uh, in their race to be ever more kind of radical Mm -hmm. who are, and pandering to the most extreme elements of their base because that's kind of how our politics work right now, you know? It's certainly how politics work on on the right. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's a race to extremism. I wish politics worked like that on the left because it would mean that people would be just stumbling over themselves to do more healthcare (laughs) and more climate stuff. Housing for everyone. Yeah, radical (laughs) left, radical left shit is really good. (laughs) Radical left stuff, radical right stuff is really bad, and radical left stuff is all like, we're gonna take more care of you, motherfucker. (laughs) Deal with it. Seriously. (laughs) Totally. You want a hug? Yeah. Amazing. Well, I think that we shall uh, move on now. And Jamie, will you help us get less dumb? Oh, man. Class, anyone? Anyone? We are going to get so less dumb. Okay. It's going to be really cool. Okay, uh, not, this, is, this is not one of those situations where you're going to make me more mad. It's not, not let's get more mad. Okay, good. It's let's get less dumb. Legitimately less dumb. Okay, great. I'm glad. I just learned about this fascinating thing recently uh, in one of the email newsletters I get. This one from that guy, Brian Kloss, uh-huh. you know? Yeah. Um, he's just got a really interesting, like, curatorial aspect of what he does. Like the things he finds interesting Mm -hmm. are just sometimes really interesting and oftentimes can have like cultural relevance to Mm -hmm. our current moment. Mm -hmm. You know, it's really neat. Uh, There is this idea that I learned called coin toss politics and I just want to talk with everyone about that. Okay. Okay, so it it goes to to psychology really. Um, So I'll give a little backstory. I I will be uh, excerpting throughout uh, my little talk here from Brian Kloss's piece. Um, So there was this uh, guy uh, in World War II. Uh, His name was Henri Tachefel. Okay. Okay. Um, Was he French? uh, He was naturalized French, although he was from Eastern Europe. He was a a Jew. Oh, okay. And Jews where he was living at that time were not allowed to, like, go to college and study things because World War II, you know, Mm -hmm. Nazis. So he moved to France, changed his name to a French name, and started studying uh, psychology. Okay. He joined the French army to fight the Nazis. He got captured, actually. Really Mm. interesting story. He got captured, and he really had to make a decision in that moment. Like, am I, like, because if he was honest about the fact that he was a Jew, he would have immediately been sent to a concentration camp. Right. But you maybe could or couldn't survive a concentration camp. It wasn't exactly known in that moment at that time, right? right? But if he chose not to claim that he was a Jew and try to keep it hidden, maybe 
he would just be treated as a prisoner of war. But if they found out, they would kill him on the spot. Oh, wow. So that's like the calculation he was making in his mind, Jeez. right? He decided to go with option B, didn't say he was a Jew, got away with it, got treated as a prisoner of war and got released and whatever. But that experience really shaped him into someone who was super interested in focusing on group dynamics. Oh, okay. Right? Uh -huh. In group out, group dynamics, that kind of thing. Yeah. It really shifted the focus of his life's work from there on in. So, uh, so it was interesting. Like he had been interested in like chemistry um, <laughs> and he ended up being interested in social psychology and yeah. group dynamics, right? Uh -huh. uh, and he eventually rose to become just a, a, a juggernaut in the field, one of the leading people in his time mm -hmm. whose work reverberates to this day. Mm. Um, so he did this amazing study at one point as, as part of his research, right? And here was what the study was. It was really simple. Participants were told to watch a coin toss. Okay. Right, so everyone just lines up, and you, you know, the line. He's at the front of the line, and whoever's in front of me flips a coin. The person watches and flip a coin. Heads, you go to this side. Tails, you go to this side. Yeah, and everyone watches that happening, and they just get sorted into two groups. Okay, big long line of people. Heads, you go to this side. Tails, you go to that like side. Like picking teams on a schoolyard, but done with a coin. That's exactly okay. it. And and the coin tossing was done in front of each person so that they could absorb the randomness of the decision. Where will I go? I don't know. Okay, I'm a tails. I'm going over okay. here. Right. Um, so in his studies, participants who were randomly assigned to a group by a coin toss mm -hmm. still exhibited clear and consistent what's known as in-group favoritism, <laughs> meaning that they would prioritize helping someone from their own group over someone from the other group, even when there was no rational basis for the group association. Right, it's just right? chance, yeah. pure chance. Yeah, uh, the takeaway is that humans, it turns out, are willing, even eager, to embrace arbitrary teams on the basis of the most arbitrary factors simply because it means we're part of a team. Interesting. Interesting, right? Like the and, Lego song. Yeah, right? <laughs> Everything is awesome. <laughs> and once we're grouped together, we vehemently identify with our group even when we know intellectually that it's absurd. Huh. Right? In the same way that you're like, intellectually, I know everything's fine, but I just feel yeah. meh today. Yeah, In the I same know. way, intellectually, these people are like, yeah, there's no reasonable thing for this group. It's just a coin toss. Mm -hmm. But their feeling was, I'm a heads. Yeah. You know? Or and I'm, those people over there are the tails. Yeah. Fuck the tails. Right. Yeah, you know? <laughs> really random, right? <laughs> so it gave rise to the discovery uh, by this guy of what he named and is now known as the minimal group paradigm. And what it talks about is the minimal conditions required for discrimination to occur between groups. And they're really, really, really minor mm. is what he realized. Like even a random coin toss can trigger mm. this, right? So. Uh, like being sorted into groups based on pure chance coin toss yep. can make you predisposed to discriminate against the other group. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Go heads, fuck tails. Yeah, right? And so, uh, continuing down uh, you know, psychology's journey after this guy, okay. uh, in a subsequent experiment, a uh, couple decades later, there were some researchers in Britain who recruited some soccer fans for a psychology experiment. Okay. All right? So, uh, the way it worked is that everyone who... So, this took place in Manchester, right? Okay. So, everyone who wasn't a Manchester United fan was screened out of the participant pool, but participants didn't know that that's why they'd been selected. Like, they did the screening, they asked them a number of questions, mm -hmm. and that was one of them, like, mm -hmm. what's your favorite soccer team? You know, yeah. one of a bunch of questions. But only people who identified as, as, as Man United fans uh, were selected for the experiment, okay. right? And so, the real experiment happened. So, they were told, okay, we've selected you here, we're just going to go over to this other building to continue the experiment, right? Uh -huh. So they, they just walked out of a door, 
and across like an alleyway or whatever and into another building, uh-huh. right? But the real experiment was actually happening on that walk to the second building. They thought the experiment was going to happen in the building. Okay. But on the walk to the building, each person, they would go one at a time, right? Mm-hmm. It's like, you get sent over. Okay, you're all good. Go over to do your experiment, you know? Okay. On the way over to the building, they, were encou- they would encounter someone like lying in the alley. It was an undercover member of the research team, okay. right? Uh, who was visibly injured and needed assistance, like fake blood, Oh, wow. The whole bit. Okay. Visibly injured, needs assistance, uh-huh. lying in the alley, injured, right? Right. A third of the time, the supposedly injured person was wearing a Manchester United jersey. Okay. Right? A third of the time, the person was wearing the jersey from Liverpool, their rival. Arch rival, yep. okay. And a third of the time, the injured person was wearing just some neutral shirt. Okay. Not soccer related. Okay. Know? The participants stopped to help those wearing Manchester United jerseys 92% of the time. Okay. Compared to 35% for someone in a neutral shirt and just 30% for those wearing the rival team's shirt. Wow. So in other words, the rates of assistance for a like an injured passerby tripled based purely Slowly. on a logo on a shirt. Oh my God. Isn't that wild? Uh, tripled. Humans, we can do better. And what's also wild to me is like, you think the neutral shirt would be like 60%, like somewhere in the middle. It's not, it's way at the bottom end of the scale. Right. (laughs) But it's the middle one, right? The neutral shirt was in the middle. Yeah, but it's not not the middle. It's 92 is the top one, like for for if it's wearing the same jersey. And then it's 35% and 30% for neutral and Liverpool. So like the the fact of the affinity because of the team made them more likely to help and the fact of just a random person with no no connection, no affinity, people just, a lot of them walked by, and even less so if you're wearing the rivals. Yeah, just bonkers, wow. right? Um, and it kind of has an interesting implication that wasn't discussed in this article, but the implication was that we tend to not to view other people intrinsically as being part of our in-group, right? Right. That's sort of what that implies, isn't it? Right. Because if we viewed humanity as being a group that we're a member of. Yes. Then you would think that we would help the person 60, 65, 70, yes. maybe less than the team friend. Totally. But not that much less. Yes. But it's way less. It's really interesting, right? Um, well, I wonder if that's the factor. I wonder if that's like the the 30% of people who helped the Liverpool Jersey people. Yeah. Or the 35% of people that helped the non the the neutral shirt people. Yep. I wonder if there's something, if there's like a certain percentage of the human population who actually does transcend this somewhat. Like that actually does think of humanity as being their number one group. Yeah. As opposed to- Like I would for sure be in that group. I know that about myself. I think you would too. I think so too. I mean, like we have somebody who lives on our street who has been an absolute asshole yeah. <laughs> to other neighbors on our street. Yeah. And like they are inexplicably- uh, these like MAGA heads. It's mm. just crazy. It isn't, the We've talked about them before on the podcast. Yeah, yeah, the ideology doesn't serve them at, at all in terms of like who they are in yeah. the world. Like it's, it's just so weird. But they're hateful, horrible people. Yeah, they're the worst. Abusive, yeah. awful people. If one of them were like bleeding on the sidewalk, I would help. Immediately. I, I really do not like them. Yeah. <laughs> like very much do not like them. Go out of my way to not have to interact because their presence makes me angry. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, they're bad people. But if they were hurt, if they were hurting, yeah. I would help. Yeah. Like, and you wouldn't even yell at them while you were doing it. No, I wouldn't. <laughs> because that's not who I am. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. 
It's it's interesting. Did you have more to oh, share? Oh, so much. Oh my gosh. Okay, sorry. This I'm is just... about to where it gets good. Oh, okay. No, you just it's good for you to go off. You go off. Tell me more. But yeah. So, what does this have to do with current events? Okay. Right. What does it have to do? So, there's this framework called evolutionary game theory. Okay. Right? Uh, and according to the framework of evolutionary game theory, being part of a group is more advantageous in a hostile environment than in a relaxed one, right? And mm. if you think about it, like, yeah. like from a historical perspective, like the origins of man, you know, uh, this makes intuitive sense because, uh, you know, the payoffs for group formation soar when the alternative is beating, being eaten alive by a saber-toothed tiger. Right. Right? Right. But being part of a group doesn't really matter nearly as much if you live in a safe environment with plentiful food and natural shelter and no predators. I see where this is going. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, this is, this is probably a whole lot of the reason why political leaders stoke fear and a sense of civilizational collapse when they discuss the rival group mm -hmm. that's coming to destroy your life, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And look, who are, the, who are the rival groups that are coming to destroy your life right now? They're trans people. They are immigrants. The, 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 the right, the mm -hmm. Republicans in this country are, yes, that's who they've identified as the rival people who are coming to destroy your life. Yes. Yeah, right? Mm -hmm. and, they, and that's why they make it sound so cataclysmic and so like end times mm. and that's why they exaggerate so much mm -hmm. the existential danger they have to make the danger sound existential if they're going to be able to leverage th this psychology right 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 uh the feeling of threat intensifies our evolutionary instincts because we are evolutionarily primed to be much more concerned about sorting into groups and protecting our own group mm -hmm. when we perceive a predatory threat. Right. That's evolutionarily, biologically wired into us as a survival mechanism going back hundreds of thousands of years. Yes, and also, as you described in the first, or the in the, in the soccer experiment, yeah. not everybody follows that That's way right. of thinking, right? That's right. It's a, it's a percentage of people. So you put that... That's that that percentage of people that are willing to just, you know, get freaked out by the people, by the propaganda and the misinformation and the lies, and hole up with their group. Uh, you put you put that together with uh, with uh, voter suppression sure. and minority rule, and voila, you yeah. have authoritarianism. Right, and it also <laughs> really goes like it, it, this. Really helps explain why some people are predisposed more than others to be susceptible to right-wing disinformation, yeah, right? Yeah. And, and, and right-wing uh, exaggeration of threats mm -hmm. because, you know, or as we've seen- invention of threats. Yeah, it's yeah. Like just bullshit made up out of whole cloth that yeah. trans people are dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like- as we've seen from the other study, there is a certain percentage of people who just won't help someone even in a neutral shirt. Right. You know? Right. And you got to imagine that those are exactly the people who are the most susceptible to these kind of mm -hmm. invented threats, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. Because they're just naturally skeptical of their fellow man. So they're sort of primed for that, right? Crazy. So, you know, uh, the feeling of threat intensifies these evolutionary instincts that we have, which entrenches toxic in-group, out-group dynamics. Right. Right? 
And when that happens, he kind of closes with this interesting sort of little cap on. He says, when that happens, we willingly abandon humanity's secret weapon, which is our intellectual curiosity. Oh, man. Right? And by intellectual curiosity in this sort of scenario that we're talking about, that kind of means, I, th I take it to sort of be related to the idea that like it's really easy to hate people in the abstract. Like if you've never met a trans person, it's mm -hmm. really easy to be super afraid of trans people, you know? But like- If you're told to be afraid of them. Sure, yeah. yeah, it's exactly it, you know? Yeah. But like- Anyone who has met and spent some time with a trans person it's, knows that they're just another flavor of human being. It's just a person. Yep. It's not that big a deal. Yep. You know what I mean? And like, I think that that's what the intellectual curiosity piece is that mm -hmm. gets suppressed, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, but also, you know, the encouraging side of that that I take is the idea that people do have an innate level you know, of intellectual curiosity. That, that also is innate in humans, mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. uh, we're, we're a curious species, you know? Yeah, always yeah. getting into stuff, always experimenting with totally, things. Totally, So, you know, that can be leveraged for, for the good also. That can, be, that can be used in really positive ways. Mm -hmm. And I think almost that probably that's the, that's the thing that we maybe should focus on, mm -hmm. you know? Those of us who are interested in combating this disinformation that works against groups and, turn, and tries to turn them into outgroups, you know? Yeah. Uh, minorities, uh, people of color more generally, mm -hmm. uh, immigrants, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people from the LGBTQ community. Poor people. Yeah, absolutely, you know? If we can figure out ways to just stoke people's you know, even people who we consider to be our ideological adversaries, if we can stoke their natural intellectual curiosity about other humans mm -hmm. in a positive way, mm -hmm. all you got to do is humanize these groups for well, them. That's what, what you're describing is like in that uh, in that effort of like stoking intellectual curiosity about other people's humanity, <laughs> then what you're doing is you're you're building, you're reinforcing the group of humanity. Yeah. The in that we're all in the in group. Yeah. We all belong in it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like that's that's what that does. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, that was Do you feel less dumb? Um and not more mad. I'm not too much more mad. No. I'm not more mad. I'm less dumb. Thank you. Yeah. Mission accomplished. Successful. Let's get less dumb. I'm into it. All right. Well, I have an item today for our suggestion box. I want to speak to your manager now, please. All right. What is it? Is it a complaint? No. So, you know, I didn't really actually know where else to put this. Mm. So I just slapped it in this segment. And this is actually, um, I, I got, this is weeks ago now. We had a, a previous discussion about guns recently on the podcast. And a listener who uh, follows, we follow each other on uh, Mastodon, uh, sent me a, a, a little meme after one of those conversations. Mm -hmm. And I just, I wanted to share it. So I slapped it in this segment. Okay. Um, and we were, we were talking about guns earlier. And so this friend, this Mastodon friend, Edgar, says this, uh, that he, they said that, that, that this had him thinking, I had me think on you on Misfit Stars. And the, the meme is um, uh, Leonard, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and some other actor, I'm not sure it is, conferring with each other. There's two pains in the, in the, you know, in the meme. And the first pain says, guns aren't the problem, people are the problem. And then the second pain, it says, then why do you want the problem to have guns? <laughs> <laughs> Which I thought was so great. Thank you, Edgar. And uh, uh, and yeah, it's just I put it in suggestion box because yeah, let's let's not give the problem guns. What let's, a good idea. Let's, that's my suggestion. I love it. That's very <laughs> smart. It's a very good suggestion. Totally. Uh, where's my gold star? I'll tell you where your gold star is, lady. Oh, where is it? 
I don't know. It's I just right. want to sound like a threatening guy. It's right here. Yeah, I got your gold star for you, baby. I got it right. <laughs> oh my gosh, where is this going? Okay. All of a sudden, I'm like cat calling you, We're kind here. of in the gold star section. Please don't. Don't yeah. do that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I'm, I'm requesting a gold star for both of us. Today. Okay. Yep. Okay, y'all, we took a break from the podcast the last couple of weeks because we went down to Northern California. And we had our theater debut at the Sophia Theater in Sacramento, California. Of the show Good to Me. Of the Good to Me Based on the album of the same name. That's right. Based on the book of the same name. That's right. <laughs> and y'all, we did it. Yeah. We totally, high five, Jamie. We totally did it. Uh, we did the show. It went off, as a friend said recently, without a hitch or a glitch. Yes. It was so great. It's true. We were prepared. Mm-hmm. We rehearsed our asses off. We were so well rehearsed to the point of over-rehearsed, which is where you got to get a show like this. Yeah. You you specifically did all the research and all the preparation for all the technical stuff. I mean, the technical, the technical design for this show was very intricate. It was ambitious. And ambitious. And Jamie took care of all of that. Like, you know, it, it's the kind of thing like you design all the technical parts and then you also have to think about all the contingencies yeah. of what if this doesn't work? Then, then you know, like just yeah. random stuff. You got to have fallback positions. It's, yes. Yeah. You thought all of that through and we were rehearsed and people showed up. We promoted the heck out of this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, the theater was just full of an enthusiastic, supportive, loving crowd. It was... It, it went off. It, we totally did it. And I think that the biggest measure of success for me, personally, was that you and I had so much fun. So much fun. Like, it was just a joy. Yeah. I didn't feel um, nervous. No, me neither. Not I at didn't all. feel like I didn't belong there. I felt like, yeah, here we are. Like, it's, it's the day. And we did it. And it was just an experience that was completely full of joy. And that was just an awesome thing. And I, I, I'm i just, that to me, that to me is the gold star. The joy is the gold star. I don't even really need a gold star <laughs> because I have that. And like, it was awesome. So that's what I have to say about it. What do you want to say about it? <sighs> Nothing really uh, more than you said. Uh, yeah, it could not have gone better on mm-hmm. every metric, not just from our side of things, but also like the energy that we were getting back from oh everyone my God. there. Yes. Everyone just really seemed to like it a lot. Yeah. It was very, very encouraging. Yeah. Uh, people had so many amazing things to say about uh, about your storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was wonderful. People got a lot out of it, clearly. Mm-hmm. People, Shannon was getting reactions in places that we weren't expecting reactions, mm-hmm. which was lovely, like audible mm-hmm. reactions, mm-hmm. little bits, little bursts of cheering. Uh, in the storytelling part I'm talking about. Here, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Uh, like laughter in places, you know. Uh, the whole thing just came alive yes. with other humans there. You know, you, when you design a show like this, you kind of get a sense of the obvious places that there will be reactions, but then people will surprise you. Yeah. It kind of takes on its own life in a room, you know. Totally. And it really did that in the best possible way. People were blown away by our friend Charles Kasky's oh. amazing video design. God, so yes. we've been talking about this to you guys, but just to like recap, we have this amazing artist friend. His name is Charles Kasky. I'll put a link to him in the show notes his Instagram uh, he, he he's this amazing guy right so I met him because I mixed this rad record for him a few years ago and then uh, 
we just became friends and started following each other on the internet. Mm -hmm. And he started uh, like about a year ago at this point, experimenting with generative video. Uh, and he, he's like this PhD computer scientist. And what he does is he designs these custom computer algorithms to kind of parse data out of music. There's obvious ways you can do that, like rhythm and frequency, but there's other data in there too. And he mm -hmm. finds all these amazing ways to like map that onto visuals in ways that sometimes obviously and sometimes very not obviously, but subtly, you know, and intuitively map to what's going on in the music in some energetic mm -hmm. way. And it's so great. And he's got this beautiful visual aesthetic sense mm -hmm. and all the colors he chose for this were so appropriate, like really neon-y, bursty, bright, dynamic, interesting colors, mm -hmm. you know, and we were able to project these things like close to 30 feet wide and like 18 feet it tall so behind cool. us. It was so nifty. And the yeah. lighting designer did an amazing job. Yes. Uh, the whole response from yeah. the theater staff was amazing. It was incredible too. Like the, it seems like they're eager to collaborate with us again. And that, that was such a neat feeling as well. Like this, they weren't just there showing up for their work shifts that, that night. They were there as collaborators yeah. to help us make a great show. And they really did. The Sophia is just an amazing spot mm -hmm. and I can't wait to go back there. Yeah. They, um, they had invited us back for a repeat show before we even left the building. <laughs> yeah. It was great. So good. <laughs> and we so, felt the same way about working with them. So do you think we deserve a gold star? Let me think about it. Yes. <laughs> Yes, and you know what? Everybody who helped us uh, pull this off deserves gold stars too. And and everybody who showed up uh, for us, like, thank you so much for everybody who was there. Um, we had people who literally flew from across the country. Multiple to be different <laughs> groups of people did this. At the show. Like, it was awesome. Yep. And so as far as what's next, y'all. So shout out Naomi, shout out Jen. Yeah. You guys went above and beyond. <laughs> Very cool. Did. Yep. What's, what, in terms of what's next, we, we filmed this show uh, with the intent to cut together a trailer mm -hmm. to sell the show to other places around the country. And we are starting the work on that now. We Prior to this show, we could describe to people what yeah. we had, what we were creating. But, but basically, we, it's just like us being like, "Oh, this show is going to be so cool, it's you guys!" Be so great, and like, who wouldn't say that? Trust but me. now we have documentary proof. Yeah, so now we'll be able to say, "Here's what we do," um, and we will we will be bringing this to rooms in uh, in rooms around the country. We've identified um, seven or eight cities that are our targets seven, for, yep. for mm -hmm. now, um, and uh, and. We've got plans beyond that. But just know that if you live in a place that's not Northern California, that chances are decent that we're going to be getting closer to you yep. uh, in the coming months. Yep. So stay tuned. And we can't wait to share this with everybody. Very, yeah. very excited about all of this. Yeah. So uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. Tell me what you got. Okay, so I just wanted to talk with everyone today, uh, apropos of something I uh, learned from YLE, your local epidemiologist, okay. about disinformation in public health communication. Oh, okay. It's an interesting, it's an interesting newsletter that she sent. Okay. Um, so uh, I'm just going to excerpt some stuff out of this and kind of give you the the uh, the gist of it. Okay. So uh, she says. So a new bill, there's been a new bill that's been introduced in Congress, okay. which calls on the U.S. government to focus on combating misinformation. Hallelujah. Right? Hallelujah. Difficult to know how that'll proceed with a, sure. you know, a filibuster because right-wingers like misinformation because it feeds their political aims, which is fucked up, but what can you do? Yeah. Um, so there's this also this thing called a zero draft, which is kind of like a, it's like the first draft okay. of a proposed international pandemic treaty. Okay. Uh, and it, 
also calls on member states to do the same thing, combat misinformation. Mm. So there's a lot of talk it's sort of a, on an international governmental level at this mm-hmm. at this juncture about what can we do kind of around the world to mm-hmm. combat misinformation because mm-hmm. obviously misinformation is on the rise, being aided and abetted by technology. Yes. Uh, and it's hard. It's made things really hard. Yep. Um, you know, uh, the FDA is zeroing in on misinformation. Um, even public libraries and schools are entering the fight against fake news. Uh, <laughs> you know, like every, it's kind of an all hands on deck emergency yeah. kind of situation. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, and for good reason, you know, uh, social media sites are flooded with inaccurate, misleading, and sometimes nefarious messaging about science and health. Mm-hmm. Uh, and too often, these falsehoods get traction, right? I mean, we've all seen this in real time on our Facebooks, on our Instagrams, like yep. y- you name it. Yep. Uh, researchers have found that the modern information ecosystem allows false news to spread six times faster than the truth. Whoa. Um, oh. That whole that that old saying about you know the lie is halfway around the world before the truth even has its shoes on. Wow, it's it's really true, and they they quantified it. You know, um, public health has not kept up, right? Mm-hmm. So public health messaging, like I think we all saw this in real time during the pandemic. Oh my god, totally. like the CDC was behind the eight ball constantly, and when they communicated, they were hedging their bets. They were not speaking concretely. They were not speaking decisively about what we do know, what we don't know. Yeah, they were also under some pressure from an administration that was not acting in good faith. Not acting in good faith, yes. Yeah. So, uh, she continues here, the field, the public health field has stumbled in communicating effectively during times of crisis. During the pandemic, ineffective or just absent Risk communication left people scrambling for up-to-date and relevant information about their health and safety. And she says, this is why YLE was born. And you know, YLE, I felt that gap being filled in my life in real time when she started doing this. Because it was hard as hell to parse out the good information from the bad as a layperson in that pandemic time with everything shifting so constantly. And she, like Caitlin Jettelina, the person Mm -hmm. who writes YLE, she was the first person to really step into that void and be like, I'm going to be the person to centralize all of this, you know? It was amazing. It was so helpful. Uh, And, you know, concurrently, though, producers of disinformation were busy intentionally sowing doubt and confusion, Mm -hmm. you know? And there's a lot of reasons that people do this, obviously. Mm -hmm. Sometimes people are just bad actors and they just like fucking with people. There are just people who are built like that and they do that. Also, you can monetize this really effectively, you know? People can cause doubt about the efficacy of vaccines and then sell ivermectin on their website or whatever, you know? Or hydrochlor, whatever that was. Hydroxychloroquine. God. Like there's all different kinds of reasons that people are incentivized either ideologically or sometimes monetarily to do disinformation. There's lots of reasons this kind of thing can happen, right? So, uh, Together, these obstacles created an impossible landscape for people to navigate when making decisions about everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you remember like whether and when to travel. What, should you wear a mask? Should you not wear a mask? Right. Can I go see my grandparents for Christmas? Yeah. Am I going to kill my grandparents? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, should I go to that party? You know, is it yeah. going to be a super spreader? How do we know? Right. Um, you know, and, you know, meanwhile, in you know, at the same time, researchers and policy experts are already producing a steady stream of proposals to prevent the next pandemic, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but too often, she says, these plans do not even contain the word communication. So, like, all these plans that people are making, like, mm. how can we do this better next time? Mm. The people, people who need to be talking about this communication gap, a lot of them aren't even communicating about it, you know? Mm. And her point here, which is so, so valid, is if no one is proactively anticipating concerns, <laughs> listening to people on the ground who have been having trouble with communication strategies and addressing their information's needs from a place of empathy and authenticity, 
how are we going to influence evidence-based decision-making? Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, it's funny, evidence-based decision-making is kind of a common theme this podcast because it also ties back to that uh, coin toss politics thing. Mm-hmm. You know, like if, if we don't have good data from which to make decisions about our, you know, how we conduct ourselves as a society if we're just doing it based on disinformation and lies, mm-hmm. you know, you can see it affecting our politics, you can see it affecting our public health. This mm-hmm. cuts across a lot of different strata of society, yeah, yeah. you know. Um, she says currently, right now, frankly, we're on the wrong path. Uh, this wellspring of misinformation is effectively infinite compared to the scant resources of public health. It is unlikely we'll ever get ahead of the misinformation. There's just too much of it out there and it moves faster. You know, it's an uphill battle. Yeah. But she says there is another way forward. We must focus instead on getting our own house in order by improving core communications, right? Okay. So what does that look like? Like what? Communications should feature in every pandemic preparedness and response plan with the same seriousness of purpose as vaccine development or diagnostic testing, right? Mm -hmm. Like vaccine, super important, diagnostic testing, super important, but she likens it to a three-legged stool where like the third part that we've got to treat equally seriously is communicating about all of this because if we support people with Mm -hmm. readily available, relevant, detailed information, it will help to restore everyone's confidence in public health so that they feel like they can trust the messaging that they are hearing because you remember what it was like during the pandemic at a certain point it was just like i don't know i don't fucking know what to do i don't know what to believe i'm hearing this from this person i'm hearing that from that person they're both governmental entities Uh, what do we do right you know well i mean that that that's what the, the republican agenda has been for the last many decades is to so distrust in institutions that's right that that like that's their ideal state and that we saw that playing out with the trump administration in charge here during the pandemic, like, yeah, we were, nobody knew what to do. And like that, that kind of chaos is precisely what authoritarians need to entrench their power. 100%. Like that is, that, that, that is it, (laughs) you know? And so like, once truth becomes unknowable, they can make truth. Exactly. And so, yeah, that we saw that playing out in real time. And like, but that's when their project that sowing distrust in institutions, sowing distrust in public health, institutions included, you know, mm-hmm. like that has been their aim for a really long time. And like, like on the other side of that, there are a lot of us, a lot, most of us here in the United States who actually do think that government has an essential role to play in like making our society function well for everyone, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like, that's the, that's the thing we have to strengthen and like, shore up, you know, is is that idea that like, yes, government actually does have a role to play here. Totally. And it, it's it's in a lot of cases the only entity that can play that role because our country is just way too big. Like the, it, it's, we, we, we need that kind of structure mm-hmm. around, uh, around our institutions, around, around the way that our society works in order to make it work for everyone. Otherwise, it's just a freaking free-for-all yeah. and those with the most resources win. Yep. And guess who has the most resources? Mm-hmm. You know, like, it's not the people who are already on the margins. So, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, so she's got suggestions. She oh, has, she has I ideas. Hear I know. So she says, the biggest gaps in public health information are timeliness and volume. Mm-hmm. Okay, so let's break that down. Messaging is, is slow right now. It's too slow mm-hmm. and it's too scant to meet the need. She says that public health organizations and officials must get more comfortable communicating quickly 
continuously mm-hmm. and with empathy. Uh, for many organizations, mm-hmm. this means expanding or creating, because a lot of them don't even have it, a scientific communication workforce. Mm-hmm. Uh, officials must recognize that communicating with the public is an essential part of their mission and their job, and their energy and time allocations must reflect that, Mm-mm. right? Uh, is there any sign that they're doing this? That well, our institutions are doing this? She, in another part of this article that I have already skipped over, she says that she thinks that people are becoming aware of it, but maybe too slowly. Okay. I think that part of the reason she wrote this op-ed was to try nudge, to... nudge, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. she's widely read in the public yeah. health community. And yeah. I think that, you know, it's her way of trying to, like, stimulate, like, hey, people, let's talk about this. Let's yeah. get this out in the yeah, open, yeah. you know? Um, she mentions here, though, that the clearance processes for communication products... So communication products is like, here's the thing we're communicating and how we're communicating mm-hmm. it, right? Clearance processes for communication products must be dramatically thinned onerous clearance processes discourage frequent information sharing and can inadvertently erode key messages, right? Mm -hmm. Because, like, if you just have a constant communication thing, like if you're talking with people, if part of your just core mission, like as the director of the CDC or whomever it Mm -hmm. it might be here that we're talking about, if part of your core mission is, I I talk to these people twice a day, I go to the press and I talk with them twice a day, I just let them know where we're at and I'm empathetic and I'm open and I'm transparent, I let them know what we're sure about, what we're not sure about, Mm -hmm. you know, uh, then that's what she wants. But, you know, all this stuff has to be pre-cleared, right? Because it's governmental bureaucracy, so it's got to be run up the chain all the way sometimes to the president. Like, are we going to talk about this? We saw, you know, with the Trump administration, that they were squashing, they yeah. were forbidding the CDC from talking publicly about stuff that made it look bad for the Trump administration, right? Right, And so stuff like that, she says, it has to be like really like, we got to get rid of all those layers of bureaucracy. We need to empower people a lot more to just like, you know what you need to do, go do it and yeah. do it frequently, yeah, you know? Yeah. Uh, because, you know, especially with something fast moving like a public health emergency mm-hmm. pandemic for sure, but there are other ones, you yeah, know? Yeah. For stuff like that, like you can't be waiting 12 hours, 24, 36 hours, two days right. to communicate. You need to be communicating, communicating in like, you know, an hour. Mm-hmm. Get right out there mm-hmm. with the information because if you're not out there with good information, the misinformation... Someone's filling the void. Yeah. Someone is filling that void. Yeah. That's exactly right. Um, she's, she continues that once, once the systems and people are in place, the content of what is communicated communicated is critical. Crisis communication should not serve the interests of the players, but of the people, right? So like the CDC's communication shouldn't be serving the Trump administration, shouldn't be serving the Biden administration, shouldn't be serving any administration. The targeted audience is citizens, humans. And that's who your messaging should be targeted at and intended towards, right? Um, This means that messaging cannot hasten to reassure how much is being done by the responsible parties or how under control the situation is, right? Mm. Like, you need to be honest. It's important to be honest. Like, here's where we're at right now. Here's what our goal is. We're not there yet, but here's where we're at right now. Honesty, if not you're just bl- saving face. Yeah, because yeah. if you're just blowing smoke and lying about things, at a yeah. certain point, people will, be, people will understand that you're just talking shit. Yep. And they're going to stop believing you and listening yep. to you, right? Uh, missteps can be avoided uh, by properly acknowledging uncertainty. What do we know? Mm. What do we not know? And how are we trying to find answers? Mm-hmm. Making the process transparent. I trust people way more when they tell me they're not sure about something. 100%. (laughs) Right? Because, I mean, really, like, when people say they're sure about something that they're not sure about, there's a colloquial term for that. It's mansplaining. Uh. No one should be mansplaining (laughs) public health. Well, and also, it's what it says to me more than mansplaining (laughs) is is that this, that, you can tell when someone is just fronting certainty. Yeah. You know, and like it's it's it tells me that they haven't actually gotten real with grappling with with the question. Totally. 
They're just trying to like shove it into a, shove it aside. Shove it aside, or seem like they're an authority, or or just or they're trying to fool themselves into thinking they feel certain about something that they feel scared shitless about. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, like so. The next thing she has to say is that knowledge translation also must come from a place of empathy, mm, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and here's what she means by that: people do not turn to media companies for their news; they turn to anchors and reporters whom they come to know and trust over time, mm. right? Warm bodies that they can relate to and who appear consistently. Mm-hmm. Over time, mm-hmm. uh, and we don't. She says that we don't give the public enough opportunities to see and trust warm bodies in public health. Messages must be delivered by real people, preferably the same people in a style that feels human. Right? I think that um, Dr. Fauci became that. Yes, he did for a lot of people during yes, the he pandemic. Did. But if you think about the CDC, so often we weren't hearing from Rochelle Walensky or other officials at the right. CDC. Certainly, no one consistent. Right. Mostly, we were just getting press releases. Yeah. Or like knowledge drops. In whatever yeah, form from them. Yeah, people need a relationship with the communicator. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly that it. Sense. Yeah, uh, and she makes the point here that these challenges uh, don't just apply to a pandemic. Health emergencies happen all of the time, from the MPOX outbreak to the earthquake in Turkey to the train derailment in East Palestine, Ohio, et cetera, et cetera, mm-hmm. et cetera. Mm-hmm. Mass shootings, all this kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, communities are starved for good information, which leads to unnecessary anxiety, confusion frustration and that void is often filled with misinformation yeah. right because people in like in real time when something like this is happening are panicked for information they just yeah. want to know how to feel about it how to think about it and if good information isn't getting out there first bad information will be yep you know yep. uh and she just sums up here by saying going forward the public health community should double down on bolstering frequent reliable communications for these crises instead of attempting to bat back the torrent of misinformation so just get out there first. I hope that's that really the takeaway about that. Yeah, I know. Thought it was really, really interesting though to kind of hear just behind the scenes, you know, what the concerns are for mm-hmm. for this stuff. Yeah, you know? totally. And I, I really hope that we're going to learn some lessons. You know, the <laughs> pandemic theoretically offered a lot of us opportunities to learn things. <laughs> yeah. You know, hopefully people are. Yeah. 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 Here's hoping. Well, how about we roll right on into the inspiration station? Inspiration station. I've got one. Do you? No. Oh, man. Inspire us, Jamie. Okay, I'm going to. This is just a lovely little thing that I got in my uh, Rigpa. It's my little Zogchen uh, Zen Buddhist glimpse of the day. Sweet. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's so inspiring. Mm. Uh, It's like, it's a little parable. Okay. Okay, it's like a little story. So here it is. Story time. Mm -hmm, Story time. Getting tucked in. (laughs) Yep. At the time of Buddha, there lived an old beggar woman called Relying on Joy. She used to watch the kings, princes, and people making offerings to Buddha and his disciples, and there was nothing she would have liked more than to be able to do the same. But she could only beg enough oil to fill a single lamp. However, as she placed it before Buddha, she made this wish. I have nothing to offer but this tiny lamp. But through this offering, in the future, may I be blessed with the lamp of wisdom. May I free all beings from their darkness. May I purify all their obscurations, and lead them to enlightenment. What does that mean to you? Well, I'm not done yet. Oh. No, there's a lot more to the story. Oh, oh, oh. Uh-huh. I thought you like you you, you gestured in a way that seemed like you were I done. I gesture when I talk. I I, I've been gesturing all through this podcast and every conversation you and I have had since okay, I met fine. you. Okay, fine, move on. Yeah. That night, the oil in all the other lamps went out, but the beggar woman's lamp was still burning at dawn when Buddha's great disciple came to collect the lamps. He saw no reason why one lamp was still alight 
and he tried to snuff it out. But whatever he did, the lamp kept burning. Buddha had been watching all along and said, do you want to put out that lamp? You cannot. You could not even move it, let alone put it out. If you were to pour the water from all the oceans over this lamp, it still wouldn't go out. The water in all the rivers and lakes of the world could not extinguish it. Why not? Because this lamp was offered with devotion and with purity of heart and mind. And that motivation has made it of tremendous benefit. Are you done now? Yes. Okay. <laughs> That's the end of the story. <laughs> so tell you me had that. your eyes closed, but I made a little conductor finish no, I saw you. gesture. I saw you. <laughs> so well, you would know when the story was done. Yes. So what does it mean to you? What it means to me is if you're doing something for the right reasons, it can't fail. Oh, I like that. And what did you say her name was? It was interesting that she was called something very interesting at the beginning. Relying on joy. Relying on joy. That was that was what she was called. I like that. Well, and I think that that like if this has been a theme for me, I actually have it have it. Um, I added so on my like my daily whiteboard. It's sort of like my like here's all the stuff I've I've got on my plate to do. You know, future things and then like immediate stuff tasks for the week. It's sort of my like on my computer, my little whiteboard. Yeah. And in the center of that whiteboard, I have um, been putting like. Uh, just some reminders for myself in terms of what I want my mindset to be. Little motivational phrases. Yeah. And I just last week added the in a box in the very center, uh, center and follow joy. Mm. That was the the new one that I sort of added to my my sort of mindset. So I see that every day because I think that you're right. Like like in the case of this parable, you know, the, the idea of relying on joy, is that what it was? Mm-hmm. You know, that that's always going to be a pure motivation, mm-hmm. right? To 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 do something for the joy. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that this this parable is suggesting that it can't fail yeah. when it's done with that motivation. I know, isn't it lovely? Beautiful. Thank all you. All the water from all the oceans in the world could not put that flame out. I love that. <laughs> I know. Oh, that's so great. It's wonderful. Well, how about we end today with our weekly gratitude crank up. What you got? I am grateful for this string of absolutely gorgeous days we've had here Mm. in Tacoma, Washington. Uh, Yesterday actually wasn't sunny, but it was still a beautiful day. Just like it felt beachy. But today we've got the sun again. It's just been like, uh, just ever since we got back from from our trip, day after day after day of like, wow, it's gorgeous here and everything's blooming and it's just, we get to have the windows open a lot and it just makes me feel great and I'm so grateful. Yeah. How about you? I am grateful today for our first show being behind us and for being able to relax back into a normal work schedule. Mm. I love it. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, tinkering with music, you know, (laughs) mixing records. Yeah. Uh, Got a new record. Someone mm-hmm. new wants to make a recording, some recordings with me. That's really exciting. Very cool. Yep, just kind of back on my uh, back on my just normal work stuff, and I I love it. That's it's great. great. You know, the the show was wonderful, but it was really disruptive, and I'm <laughs> down for those sorts of disruptions. But also, it's really nice just when they're done, because then just regular work just almost feels like vacation, kind of like <laughs> like I just get to be at home and I don't have to somehow figure out how to put three hours of rehearsal into the day. Yeah. Also, <laughs> along with everything, it's totally really nice. Yeah, I'm into it. Yeah. 
Well, you all, thank you so much for listening to us today, spending a little of your day with us. Yeah. We appreciate you. Yes, we do. Um, we'll be back again next week. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll be back next week, and then we have another break because we're doing a family visit. So we're kind of like an on-again, off-again podcast here mm-hmm. for the next couple weeks. Untrustworthy, not reliable. I know. I'm so sorry. Very sketchy, Miss Fit Stars. the misinformation won't fill the void. <laughs> we're gone. Right. <laughs> Someone else puts up a Miss Fit Stars podcast and just what? starts saying things we would not agree with. Fake news. Um, that would be terrible. Oh, my God. Uh, but thank you for hanging out with us. Um, for those of you who are supporters of uh, this podcast and of our work more generally, thank you. you're the absolute best. Yeah. Thank you. And what I mean by supporters is those of you who have become supporting patron members of Misfit Stars. Money, people. She's talking about, talking about money. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's. we've got a group of, po- a group of folks who um, have have pledged to make, uh, they've subscribed, and they make m- small dollar monthly contributions yeah. to this little engine here of On ours. On an ongoing basis. Yeah, and it's it, it really, really is essential to keeping us going. So if you are thinking about, yeah, you know what? I actually really like what these two are up to, and I want to be... Uh, I want to put my money where my mouth is and I want to be a supporter of yeah. this work to help keep it going, then you can go to misfitstars.com slash support. Mm-hmm. Select the amount that works for you. The, the smallest amount is five bucks a month. Yep. Uh, most, the average is 10 that people do. So the highest like, amount hasn't yet been found, I don't think. Oh no, yeah. Push the limits. But go nuts. Um, so whatever works for you that, uh, that you'd like to you know, kick over our direction to help us keep doing the stuff that we do, we would yeah. appreciate it so much. Yeah. Direct support from people who believe in what we do is a large part of how we keep doing it. Yes, thank you. Thank you. All right, we'll be back. Uh, Until then, be good to yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah, we love y'all. Bye. Bye.